Hi everyone, welcome to Pod episode 5. Um, in this episode we're delighted to be joined by Hibs Chief Executive Ben Kinsell. Obviously a, a really exciting interview for us to get. Um, I think it's, it's the first podcast he's been on, so it's one we're both looking forward to. As always, before we go into the interview, just a little bit of housekeeping um, with regards to the, the podcast and the site. Um, first thing is, for anyone that uses the site or maybe follows us on Twitter or whatever, um, we are running some buses to the Scottish Cup semi-final. Uh, sorry, League Cup semi-final. I'm <laughs> getting a bit ahead of myself there. There is a few um, a few seats still available, so if anyone's interested, um, please log on to the forum and let me know. Um, alternatively, you can get us on Twitter. Yeah, the Scottish Cup ones to come, obviously. Yeah, that's that's for later in later in the year. <laughs> uh, and as always, we're we're still running a couple of competitions on the forum. Uh, Declonius his uh, prediction league is well underway. Overall, it has been sort of mothballed for a couple of weeks for reasons. Uh, but do get involved in that. It's it's not too late to do well. So I'm assured. Um, I'm not doing too well <laughs> myself, but yeah, I've sort of given up on that. Um, the the other uh, thing to look out for is our first goal scorer competitions. Uh, you can win yourself some vouchers for the club store, and Black Friday is coming up, so you can probably nab a good deal there as well. Yeah, um, the the first goal scorer competitions, the vouchers. Um, I think we normally run something a wee bit um sort of enhanced around about Christmas as well, at one of the festive fixtures, if I remember rightly, in the past. So, um, probably one worth keeping an eye on. Um, I think we probably don't want to spend too much time um dragging this intro out. Um, so I think we're just going to head straight into the interview and welcome Ben to the podcast. Thanks very much, Ben, for joining us. Um, obviously, you've been in your your new job a few months now. Um, how are you? How are you settling in? How are you finding things? Yeah, no, settling in well. Uh, everyone's made me feel really welcome. Um, from my from my perspective, lots to do. And I think what happens when you join a football club is, um, if you've uh, joined a few like I have, uh, from Arsenal, Charlton, Norwich, um, you start to get some familiarities that just come across football uh, clubs in general um, but certainly uh, now feel very much part of uh, the setup here and very much part of um, of kind of what we want to do moving forward so now I'm happy to be here. Uh, I actually live in your your former city of Norwich so I know all about it. Um, how are you finding your your new home up in Edinburgh? Yeah it's great it's great so I live in Stockbridge um, so I'm, I'm enjoying that at the moment. Uh, of course I'm, I'm, I kind of miss my family uh, that are still down in in uh, Norfolk, but equally at the same time, it was a it was a, a kind of family decision that you make. So um, now Edinburgh is a beautiful city, and, I, and that was one of the reasons, um, along with the club and the opportunities that it presents. Uh, that was one of the reasons why I wanted to come up was because you know Edinburgh kind of trumps uh, Norwich every day of the week. <laughs> so so yeah, no, I'm uh, happy to be here. Just uh, obviously wish wish my family could be with me, but uh, it allows me a lot more time to to really immerse myself in Hibs and, and do all the work that needs to be done here. Yeah, a sort of wider question about your impression of Scottish football, any differences you, you weren't expecting from comparing your, your time in England and anything you wish you'd knew before you came up? Um, well, there's a couple of things straight up. I think it's uh, there's there's some there's some crazy things that I can't get really get my head around. So uh, the, 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 the alcohol sort of uh, licensing element uh, in Stadia, I think is, is just a... Um, quite an archaic situation um which i knew about when i was coming up but it, it completely kills the opportunity for for clubs to sort of commercialize that area um that's a, that's a more kind of a club to club um england to to scotland perspective um i've been really pleasantly surprised by kind of the atmospheres um the stadia 
Um, and and actually the cut and thrust of, of uh, the speed in which the game is played up here, um, I genuinely believe it could it can it can rival a lot of um, a lot of the, the footballing styles and philosophies down um, down south. And um, also, I, I I really like the competitiveness of the league this year. Um, I love the fact that there's derbies uh, and that there is um, there's some games that are that are close. I genuinely believe that everyone can beat everyone. Good stuff. I think I think you mentioned there, um, sort of in, in your introduction about how you get on with the job that there's a, a lot of lot of work to be done. Um, one of the things I think is kind of typified Hibs over the last six seven years now is that the the structure that was in place was. Um, very well presented to fans and it was something that we, we all kind of knew what happened. We had the sort of CEO, head of football operations, um, head of recruitment, head coach situation. And then I think the, the, the middle two roles kind of amalgamated into one and it became the sporting director role. Um, obviously, there, there's been a departure that everyone's aware of. Um, so how how has the structure changed in that sense? Are, are we going to be replacing the sporting director or is that something that's going to be yourself and Jack are going to be taking on more of that aspect and sort of removing removing the person from the area, if you like? Yeah, uh, it's a good question. It's quite timely because there will be some changes. There'll be an announcement next week on that uh, structural piece. Um, I think it's really important, firstly, to answer the question around transparency. Um, and ensuring that supporters do actually know what the structures exist at the football clubs to understand who's responsible for what and that everyone has kind of that accountability. Um, I'm definitely across it very much so on the on the football and non-football kind of business side um, as a CEO, but but actually uh, I'm working with Jack uh, and we speak quite, quite kind of consistently and quite frequently. Um, what we What we want is a structure that allows us to have real accountability for the areas that we believe are massively important moving forward. So from our perspective, the academy, the development side of our business, uh, the player pathway opportunity for young players to come through. Um, we have, we believe we've got good players that, that can come through into the, uh, into potentially the first team environment in years to come. And what we want to do is have a, have a, a system and, and a structure that's set up to allow that to happen. Um, and to allow it to be successful. Equally, at the same time, we're probably going to make an appointment there. Um, it's quite a, a senior, quite a credible and quite an experienced candidate that's going to come in um, and improve us, improve us in every area in that, in, in that, part, of the, um, in that part of the club. Um, it's also something that, that shouldn't be uh, necessarily the primary focus for Jack. Jack um, should be focused on first team and first team results and ensuring that we deliver against our our kind of club objectives on the sporting side. And then on the non-sporting side, I'm, I'm more than well versed and experienced in delivering against them. Um, but actually having a, a having kind of a, a holistic view across all areas is probably something that sits well with me, uh, something that I'm very comfortable with. So in terms of the, to summarise the, the answer to that, there will be an appointment coming up um, that I think will that we will make very, very transparent um, next week. And uh, I think that will be an exciting appointment and people will understand the sort of technical um, opportunity that that brings us uh, to bring in someone with the standing that, uh, that this individual has. Excellent. I, th I think you've actually kind of said that there's going to be a bit of transparency in the appointment next week. You've kind of almost taken the next question out of my mouth, which was kind of meant a bit tongue-in-cheek. Um, there was sort of some internet sleuths, if you like, that had suggested that we had 
appointed a head of recruitment and then not appointed a head of recruitment based on some club directory work. Um, you know, do we have a head of recruitment at the moment or do we not? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I think firstly, what we're doing is we're moving down a route of a more collaborative approach to recruitment. I think sometimes titles can can skew uh, exactly what people's views are. Um, and I know we, we originally speak about, about well, who is responsible for recruitment. Well, ultimately, every football club, and this is the truth, um, no one or no one should ever get signed in, until the first team coach stroke manager signs off on that appointment um, because they have to come into that environment. And, uh, and you know, Jack, Jack is a, a very capable, credible, experienced manager that's proved to be incredibly consistent with getting results um, and, you know, deserves our backing. Um, and from that perspective, we would never look to bring in a, a anyone that wasn't passed by the manager first of all. And and really, that's that's where it comes down to. In terms of do we have a head of recruitment? Yeah, we've got a recruitment team, um, and then Ian is part of that team because um, that's what we're alluding to. Let's be honest. And, yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and and has been and has been throughout the whole of the um, the sort of last year or so, way before my time, he's, he's been part of that setup and is a senior part of that setup. But um, no, it's a collaborative effort recruitment, and and I think you see a lot of the time is a head of recruitment may say, well, we found this player or we signed this player. They're not too hot on saying when they signed a player that didn't work out. So <laughs> I think I think it's that collaborative effort that that ultimately leads to Jack and his coaching team making a call on whether they want that number one target, number two, number three. Um, and it's done in a very structured way. And that's what we're trying to do is get to the bottom of that. And uh, I believe we have, and I believe that will allow us to have better windows than the ones that we've had. Okay, um, just just one last thing on this before we kind of move on from the the whole structure side of things. I think, um, you know, one of the things I think is quite important for a lot of football clubs is that sense of continuity, structure, philosophy, if you like. Um, is that still something that's that's going to be very important to Hibs moving forward and sort of the new structure you've, you've went on to, to outline there? Um, obviously, you know, it, it's not something I think anyone believes is going to be imminent, but football managers, head coaches, they don't stay anywhere forever. So is it going to still be the case that we want a, a manager, be that Jack at the moment and whoever comes in, you know, two, three, five years time, um, to to fit in with the the way the club thinks rather than the club adapting and making wholesale changes to fit with a manager. Oh, no, I think you're absolutely right. That's that's the way that uh, that, that this club will operate and, and is operating. Um, Jack has a huge influence on that, and um, like I say, we we're 110 percent behind Jack, and um, and his performances today deserve that consistency and and deserve that that sort of um, that backing. I think, but but a club identity. Um, stands the test of time and ultimately a, a club recruits a, a head coach and manager to a certain style and an and attacking philosophy in this case at Hibs. Um, so no, everything that happens from the development team down is very much a, a kind of a Hibs philosophy. And then at first team level, of course there are nuances and there are, there are sort of um, styles in which you know you're, what you're going to get when you recruit a certain type of uh, head coach stroke manager. And, um, and, and, you know, I think some of the work that we've done uh, from our communications department more recently around sort of perhaps lifting the lid a little bit on, on Jack's kind of playing philosophy and how he, on his, ex on his experiences and how he has, um, he has sort of developed his coaching style philosophy and, um, you know, almost behaviours and values and how he and how he wants his teams to play. 
I think we're um, I think we're very much kind of delivering against um, his DNA at the moment. But that that isn't necessarily a DNA that changes when you bring in a new manager. No, it's a it's a it's a Hibs kind of attacking uh, philosophy and style, and uh, that's something that when I came to the club, I was more than aware of. To to stay on the track of of transparency, but to move on slightly. An external body, obviously not part of the club structure itself, but that has played a significant role over the last, um, particularly the last 18 months, but for uh, upwards of five years now, is HSL, Hibernian Supporters Limited. Uh, a lot of fans are really interested to know what your thoughts are in terms of the sustainability of the current model there, the relationship between the club and how that might work sort of moving forward. Yeah, well, interestingly, I mean, I would start by saying um, that, that they deserve great credit huge credit and uh, and I think the club should probably start I certainly will by thanking them for their contributions during a really difficult period for the club um, the amount of money raised hundreds of thousands of pounds raised um, and continues to sort of come into the club uh, on a monthly basis which is much needed um, it has been a lifeline at times and something that I know Ron is uh, very appreciative of as well um, I, I believe uh, it needs to evolve um, uh, like anything, um, but I think there needs to be greater communication between uh, the club um, and obviously HSL. And, and I think, from from my perspective, I'm really open to that. Um, I actually I'm, I've met with their with their kind of board, their directors, and um, and I'm I'm quite open around looking at their membership and adding value to that proposition. Um, it's something that actually excites me because we can move it forward. We can perhaps grow it. Uh, we see uh, it can be successful elsewhere, um, or it can certainly help um, clubs kind of grow sustainably. And I, and I genuinely believe we've got a fan base here that kind of wants to do everything it can to see us be as successful as we can financially on and off the pitch. So no, I'm, I'm, I'm a big kind of uh, fan of it. Um, and I've seen the contributions firsthand in a balance sheet and um, they cannot ever be underestimated about how important they've been over the last kind of 18 months, but even even longer than that, quite frankly. And, and hopefully we can grow that even more so. And once again, there's been some plans more recently that I've been discussing with them around how we can perhaps evolve that, revitalize it and um, and grow it even further. But you know, it's it's not a it's not a club product, it never will be. It's um it's definitely a fan-led product and um or not even product, a membership, sorry. And um and and you know, I think uh perhaps the objective of that. Um, may tweak and change slightly but um, I'm really 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 sort of uh, supportive of what they've done and just almost want to say thank you I don't know whether there's been much um, gratitude shown uh, I don't know I, I wasn't here but um, but I know how important that is since I've been here um, and I've seen the uh, the sort of financial reporting over the uh, over the last two to three years and uh, it's massive we're not getting you in trouble there are we I'll tell you, I'll tell you who that phone call, right? I'll tell you who that phone call is, is Jack. So, uh, <laughs> so maybe we did. I don't know. So straight away, you're more important. Don't worry. <laughs> um, obviously, um, Ron, when he when he took over the club, made the decision to stop selling shares to HSL or creating new shares for HSL, which you know, as a major shareholder, is entirely his his right to do so um what what's also in place at the moment is a sort of um a, a block at the moment on fans trading shares between themselves and i know there's a few people sort of with with family reasons or whatever are, are interested in doing that is, is that something that we think might change 
in the future, or is it something that's still sort of undecided as of now? Yeah, I'm, I'm aware of it, um, and it's definitely something that I'm trying to work through. Um, but equally, at the same time, it's not my decision, quite frankly. And uh, yeah. you know, I have to accept that that uh, you know, Ron has put me in in this position to sort of almost be a um, a day to day kind of executive struck custodian of the club and try and um, deliver the or be the best possible version of ourselves while we're here. So to extract the maximum value. So I, I kind of, it's not really something I can answer. I'm definitely aware of it. Um, I'm aware of the the challenges that it's probably uh, caused, um, but equally at the same time, it's something that's, uh, that I'm not really in a place where I can kind of pass judgment on or answer. Um, I, I just want to come back to something that I think you actually, you, you touched on in the very first part of the, the um, interview. Um, and it, it's a very buzzword, um, sort of new, very new football phrases, sort of the match day experience. You know, everyone has to have a match day experience. So it's not just you go to the game. Um, in that regard, you mentioned sort of the, the um, prohibition on selling alcohol um, within the concourse areas at the stadium, which is obviously massively different from what you'll have been used to down south. And it is, it's a huge um, commercial revenue drain. Um, on that same same sort of token, um, one, one of the things that is constantly brought up is that the, the atmosphere at Easter Road can be quite patchy. Um, you can have some games where it's brilliant, some games where it's not. And I know that's not unique to Hibs. Um, and I, I don't know if you're aware, but the the guys who were sort of the organised singing section recently disbanded, and there's now a, a Phoenix group of rows and whatever. Um, one of the things they've been pushing for for a long time is is moving to some kind of safe standing area within the stadium. Now, obviously, um, Ron and the board in general have shown a commitment to improving the stadium with things like the big screens going in. There's talk of the the ribbon going in. Is safe standing or you know rejigging the layout of the stadium with regards to where certain sections are, something that's on your radar? Yeah, everything's uh, open uh, for discussion with, with that kind of thing. If if we can grow attendances, if we can ensure that, um, you know, groups are happier in certain uh, sections of the stadium and they can create a, a better, more vibrant, more positive uh, atmosphere uh, and uh, and a hostile one for, for opposition kind of, players and fans then then that's only a good thing for hibs uh, that's only a good thing for uh, for the for the match day experience really um so no i'm open to to looking and exploring anything that anyone wants to do it's so much so that, that i believe we've got a meeting um next week uh, arranged whereby um you know some some people from that that new that newly found group is sort of coming in and uh, and we're, we we want to try and support in any way we possibly can um, but it doesn't just start there. It also, it's about how can we constantly evolve the kind of match day experience here for, for kind of families, for young people. Um, how can we look to grow and add to the attendances because they they have dropped, um, and it's something that I've got to look at and we've got to focus on because you know in, in the, over the last five years we have seen kind of attendances um, figures, and I've got to make sure that we are giving ourselves the best possible opportunity to get. Uh, everyone that, that that should be engaged with the club back into the club. Um, it's been a really awful time for a lot of people um, with COVID. So there's a lot of work that the club needs to do to ensure that we're making this a really good environment to come back into. Um, so anything we can do in that area, I would I would kind of let people know, please just get in touch and we'll do what we can and we'll support what we can. And I know Ron and, and definitely myself and everyone here is really supportive of anything we can do to try and either grow attendances, make it a better match day experience, um, support Jack and the players to obviously sort of drive us forward. So 
no, nah, there's nothing off off limits on 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 that one point. I think um, you know one one of the criticisms um, that I've, I've heard is that you know people some people are finding in the current financial climate um, some of the ticket prices the higher end ticket prices are a little bit prohibitive now i'm i'm more than aware that hibs aren't an outlier here we're very much in line with with what the rest of scottish football are, are, are charging and you know ultimately if, if you reduce that you're reducing the money available to fund the product on the pitch um, you know I, I think most fans aren't naive enough to think that is it and i think you've touched on it there is there a way that you know the club can you know without lowering prices add more value to 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 the price of a ticket, if you like, is it? It's not just a game of football you're coming to see. You know, is is there ways around that to actually say, well, you're actually getting a better day out um, as part of your ticket price? Yeah, I think um, that's come to the fore a lot more um, following, you know, supporters keeping their hard-earned money into the club uh, during that COVID period. So I think, you know, there is an element of of kind of payback that all clubs need to start giving back to their fans because they have effectively kept the club afloat uh, during that period of time keeping their monies uh, in in the club so look we've got to do more um it's a it's a really tough question to answer because ultimately one of the biggest challenges in sport is is kind of around its volatility and what i mean by that is around its finances um you know if you that, that inconsistency makes it really hard to plan so you know you want to try and drive a season ticket base of let's say between uh, 12 and 13,000. Um, if you can manage to deliver that, you can actually start to plan, um, you know, almost growth around that. So, you know, we need a lot of things to go in our favour to, to make that happen. So can we look at our, our ticketing and ensure that the prices are relative to the experience? Well, then you're going to have fans look at it and say, well, we want value for money on the pitch. Um, we want value for money off the pitch with regard to the experience. And, and if, if I look at it, well, well, the investment in the big screens, the investment in the kiosks um, doesn't mean that we've necessarily got it right on the staffing, but that's, a, that's a, an issue that, that is happening in that sector at the moment. And we're trying to get over that. I think if we look to steadily improve what we're doing um, in every facet of that match day experience, then I think the fans will look at that and say, well, look, the club is trying to do the best that it possibly can to give us a great match day experience, to give us a, a winning team on the pitch um, that's giving everything to try and, you know, kind of win every game. I, you know, I, I think pricing sometimes would then not be such an issue. I think pricing comes to the fore when perhaps results aren't so great when the when you turn up and the the customer service kind of levels of stewarding of uh, kiosk staff aren't there, um, and that's what we've got to do. We've just got to be better. And I go back around to saying when when I talk about that challenge of volatility, with regard to finances and that inconsistency, it is hard to plan. So as an example, when you look at our league position over the last five seasons, fourth, fifth, seventh, and third, you know, and then and then obviously we're in this season now. Um, it isn't. It isn't easy to plan measured growth because there's no stability or consistency, and that's the same on and off the pitch. And actually, that's where I kind of applaud Jack. What we've actually managed to get is an element of consistency, consistent growth, and uh, and you know that investment that Ron is making um, off the pitch hopefully will continue. In fact, I know it will continue. So we are trying to add value to to the ticket price and to the season ticket price. I think there's other smaller things we can do around open session, open training sessions, 
around um, uh, you know adding value in the best way possible. But it's kind of the sum of all parts rather than just looking at the price of the ticket. I think just one one last point on this is uh, I know we've t- you've touched on the the issue with regards to um, staffing levels there, and I, I'm working on industry that's attached to hospitality as well, so I totally understand the the challenges faced. And we've also spoke about you know the the sale of or the prohibition of um, the sale of alcohol at football matches. And um, one facility that has been closed for quite some time is the behind the goals um, sort of fan bar, if you like, that's in the famous five stand. Is that a, a permanent closure or is it something that we're, we're looking to, to bring back in some guys in the in the future? Yeah, do you know what? It's really frustrating for me because I've, I've inherited a situation where, where that stand has been allowed to sort of almost mothball um, and therefore the cost of opening it up and ensuring that it's kind of operational um, from a health and safety, from a building control, from a stadium management perspective is quite cost prohibitive at this moment in time for the return that we would get. Um, so what we what we need to do is find a way of bringing it back to its kind of former glory, uh, first of all, and then looking at how we can promote it uh, as, a, as a match day bar or an experience that can work and be profitable. Um, the challenge is, is it wasn't profitable previously. I've looked at the the results and um, and it just it, it did actually cost the club money to to, to run it. Um, but now the the, the stand is in uh, such a such a, a position whereby there would need to be a, a significant outlay to to actually bring it back to its its former position where we can perhaps use it for non-match day events and uh, and match days. Um, so for the time being, it's not something that we can we can look at. Um, but there is a plan to uh, to sort of do upgrades in um, in obviously the, um, the 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 kind of the the west stand and and you know continue that phase of development, like I say, around the ground and the match day experience side of it. So there are there are really interesting and almost engaging investment plans that we're put, trying to put in place that will actually benefit. But uh, but yeah, it's almost like you have a phased approach to everything and we're probably on phase one and uh and you know if i start looking at the list it's a very very long list with lots of phases on it it's a long list uh, can we push you to maybe divulge on any of the uh, the plans that are coming with any more immediacy yeah i'd love to look at um at kind of a fan zone out the back i'd love to um i'd love to look at some hospitality uh, kind of improvements uh, which are much needed um uh, more more kind of um bar related um improvements um there's there's also you know not necessarily it's not necessarily um fan fan sort of focus but there are significant improvements over at HTC which uh which we're which we're delivering on and uh and and you know in general I think we touched on earlier around how can we support or how can we drive that match day experience from an atmosphere perspective well you know can we find a way of you know um looking at, at small investments that can help aid that and i think that's something that i'd be willing to consider um and uh, and you know sometimes i think it starts quite small but it actually tends to grow into something quite meaningful and uh you know whether it be i'm not saying flags i'm not saying anything I'm, it's not for me to decide it's for fans to decide but you know, I'd love to get a, a you know a, a group of fans that were interested in sort of really tackling this and then exploring how they could do that with real with real commitment behind that from the club as well. Of course, everybody knows the best way to cultivate a kind of vibrant atmosphere is a successful team on the pitch. Uh, you joined very late in July and uh, you're right in the midst of a transfer window, so I'm sure that was nice and easy for you. But 
if you were to sort of summarize our summer window, what went well, what didn't? Uh, well, the window wasn't good enough. Uh, it's as simple as that. Um, I think what we're starting to see is we're starting to see an element of um, of a lack of of uh, movement in that area, on especially offensively. Um, and and I think there are gaps in the squad. So you know that, that we need to fill. I think we've got a really good squad, um, but uh, I think the depth perhaps uh, perhaps needed to be addressed a little bit a little bit uh, earlier in the window uh, with some key areas, uh, which I won't go into the key areas. But um, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a key advocate in terms of ensuring that there's a clear plan and it's a structured window, um, and that we have prioritised targets uh, that we that we sort of go after and. Um, that has the full backing of the of Jack and the management team, and I think if we look at the window, I think we brought in some some good players. Um, did we bring in enough? Probably not. Um, and did we need to um, have a little bit more depth to our squad? Yes. Um, some of the uh, some of the movement that we that we made happened too late in the window, um, and that's when I go back to it being a little bit more structured. Uh, and it being a little bit more uh, focused around the priority, the prioritised targets that we were that we were going after. Um, that said, I think you know in the end what we've what we've actually ended up with is a is a competitive squad, um, and you know we go again. And the great thing about football is is as soon as one window closes, you have to look forward to the next window, and it's a constantly evolving piece. And uh, uh, there's been an awful lot of work uh, on ensuring that we have a squad moving forward that is that has a really strong core to it um a really strong sort of group of people with uh, a really strong cultural togetherness and grit uh, to succeed and uh, and to play for jack and to do things the the, the kind of the hibs way and uh, you know what I've also been doing since the window closed is really focusing on ensuring that we keep the players that we want to keep at the club. Um, and, uh, and then we, we focus our efforts on what we need to do in January to, to complete our, our kind of football business for the season. And then obviously there's got to be movement towards the summer as well, because we have players that are out of contract um, uh, and, you know, we need to build a squad that can match our ambitions again. And our objectives don't really change. Um, when I first came in, I was very, very clear that I would take the first kind of 60, 60 days to really review exactly what we want the club to achieve, speak to a lot of people, listen to a lot of people. Um, and I genuinely feel the the, the culture has changed. Um, I also think there's a steely mentality around being much more consistent, like I was referring to earlier. Um, and everyone's bought into them values, into them... Um, into them kind of objectives. So now what we've got to do is make sure that we we have teams on and off the pitch that can kind of align themselves to them to them overall kind of team objectives, club objectives. As a um, as so you know a, a, a CEO in in a football club, um, you've you've obviously been very frank there about the, the fact that the the summer window wasn't um, good enough. Um, when when you have sort of a run of results and a run of performances, quite frankly, like Kibbs have had over the last um, the last few weeks, how how difficult is it to sort of keep a cool head and actually say, you know what, we've got a plan here, we know where we're going, we know what went wrong before, and we know how to rectify it. Is that something that that you have to learn to do? Is it something that comes naturally? Is it? Yeah, I I think what you've got to do is you've got to not you've got to not allow emotion 
to dictate your decision making um, and you've got to trust the process and uh, you've got to trust that there is that there are people bought into the process uh, and and if I'm honest um, you know when we talk about a run of bad results um, we we haven't had them under Jack quite frankly um, you know we've had a very consistent um, set of set of results sequence of results really and you know, yeah, this is a tricky period, but but ultimately, you know, n- give me a football manager that hasn't gone through a tricky period and come out the other side. Um, so I think it comes down to not acting um, on on emotion, um, trusting the process, and and quite frankly, understanding the bigger picture. And the bigger picture sometimes is is a lot harder for a fantasy because they're not in the inner sanctum of a club and understanding what happens, why it happens, and when it happens. And I think, and I think sometimes when you see when you see a much more holistic approach of of uh, what's happened over a period of time, and, and I've only been at the club a short period of time, but I am aware of now what's happened previously. Um, and and you know the club, this club needs strong leadership, and it has it now. Um, and it and it and it it really coped really quite remarkably well without necessarily having that strong leadership in place um, in a really collaborative, collective manner. So I've got nothing but kind of. Um, respect and uh good things to say about about those that that sort of work through the pandemic and those that um worked at the club during the summer period and also uh continue to work through it now because uh they've had to they've had to work now with me for sort of three four months and um i've been really quite clear but actually i'm quite clear in trusting that process that we've put in place and um i think we're we're very lucky to have jack um as our manager, and uh, and I think I think you know we've we've got a, an excellent set of players, staff that are really honest, um, and you know they want to be the best versions of themselves uh, for the club, and and I think we should all be proud of that. We should all be proud of that. Not just me, but all Hibs fans should be proud that there's no one no one wants to go through a run like we've just gone through. But it's not like we've gone through it for a period of time. Mm. Um, you know, I think anyone watching the first 30 minutes or so of that game against Rangers, um, you know, we were excellent. Uh, we started the season and we, we, we have been good. Um, and, you know, what, what we need to do is we need to get back to them performance levels. And that's what we will do. Obviously, something that the club can't account for is being decimated almost by a COVID outbreak. Really, all we wanted to, to know is how is everybody? Uh, is everyone recovering well? And, and what's, the, what's the state of play right now? Do you know what? Thanks for asking that. Because actually, that just hasn't been the case. No one's asked that question, and uh, and quite frankly, I find that appalling that that isn't the first the first question that people should ask. Um, we're talking about um, a worldwide pandemic that that um, that hit our club, and uh, and you know whether people suffer as a result of it or not, it should be the first question that someone asks. It's, it's kind of human nature to care and to um, and to actually turn around to someone and say, "Well, I hope everyone's okay there." and um, I've, I've kind of only seen that from our own fans um, and uh, it should really be something that's, um, you know, thought about across the whole of football. If anyone that comes across, I know Ross County had a, a real issue with it earlier on in the season. And uh, if I was, if I was here then um, in any kind of capacity, one of the first things I would have said is, I hope everyone's okay there. I hope, I hope you get through it. If you need any support, then, um, then, you know, we're happy to do whatever we need within the football community to support you. Um, everyone's, everyone's good. Everyone is, uh, I think, 
ready to get back to their day jobs and to ensure that we can um, move forward. I know that uh, Jack, the management team, are raring to go. Uh, we're full of positivity. It's been a really tough period for the club, um, on and off the pitch, um, but we're resilient. Uh, and I, I believe this will, this will bring us even closer together and will allow us to sort of move forward. But no, thank you for asking. Everyone's fine. No one has suffered too badly, but uh, no one, no one ever should, should, should want to get it. And, uh, and it ripped through us. And that's a, that's a, a sign to everyone that we've just got to be careful. So I, I hope that all of our fans and, even, and anyone uh, in Scotland and beyond uh, just, just treats it with the, with the kind of seriousness that it needs to be treated with. Not only have we had uh, everybody returning from, obviously, the COVID outbreak, we've seen uh, some key injuries uh, come back, particularly Christian Doidge. It's an area you've, you've highlighted as, as being short for us. How much does the return of Christian mean for the team? And looking ahead at January, you know, what are the, the key goals to, to help us um, moving forward for the rest of the season and turn this into a really successful campaign? Well, um, getting key players back is always is always really important. Uh, Christian's a great a great individual. Um, I obviously don't don't work with them as uh, anywhere near as close as, as Jack and the and the team do. Um, like I said, we've got a real a real group of um, players that are incredibly tight knit and very together. Um, they work hard for each other, and and I think even though they may not be contributing on the pitch, they're certainly contributing off it. I see a. a, a a small amount of that when I go over to HTC twice a week. Um, and, you know, it'll be great to have him back. He's a, he's a big player for, for us. Um, and, uh, and we hope that will be the case moving forward. Um, so in terms of January, um, I think, you know, that, that there is, there is business that we need to do. Uh, it needs to be the right type of business. It's never the, never the best window to do uh, any footballing business in uh, Jack will tell you that. Uh, well, most most managers or, or stroke um, CEOs will tell you that, but uh, but no, there is stuff that we need to do in that window. Uh, there's certainly plans that we've that we've got put forward, and uh, we're discussing that with the um, with the owner at this moment in time. Um, we want to remain competitive, and uh, I think I said in an earlier interview when I uh, when I came into the club, you know, that sort of top four position in Scotland shouldn't be the exception it should be the norm for this club and uh, and something that I firmly believe in it's set very very much at the top of our priorities um, we all firmly believe that we can be but we have no divine right to be there uh, we have to be better than a lot of other clubs and we have to be consistent with our performances so we've got to we've got to make sure that we strengthen appropriately um, and we've got to make sure that that fits within the budgets that we can uh, we can work with here at here at Hibs but um, but the one thing I do know, and the one thing that I'm I'm really pleased with, is how harmonious we are as a as a group, um, you know, off the pitch and on the pitch, and um, that togetherness I think uh, counts for a huge amount because um, I've been at other clubs where that isn't necessarily the case. Yeah, there's been uh, connections obviously within the club and, and uh, reaching out out wide. We've got uh, some partnerships with other teams, Brighton, uh, the most prominent and, and recent one, but also ties with Chelsea Battery in, in the USA and Stenhouse Muir. Uh, the fans are interested really just to know, you know, what the state of play is with those connections, what do they mean for the club and, and how functionally do they work? Well, in interestingly, I can't tell you how they work because uh, um, they're, that they haven't really been prevalent since I've been at the club. So, um, so I don't know what was really agreed amongst clubs, um, but I haven't had anyone from Brighton reach out. And, uh, and, you know, I don't, I don't believe there is, there is a healthy sporting relationship there, of course. And they're, um, and they're very, 
they're very kind of um they're, well, it's a great club uh quite frankly um i know paul and uh and obviously dan there and 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 the guys there but uh no i wouldn't say that there is a strategic relationship between the club um so i don't it was before my time but i haven't seen any evidence of that um we obviously have relationships with smaller uh kind of clubs and i don't mean that in a disrespectful way but that's part of our uh, of of our kind of player player pathway and development with um with clubs around us being able to loan out uh, players like jack and players like steven and, and and others um and and ultimately um you know the development with charleston battery they're coming over uh, shortly and uh you know i think it's a really interesting tie up it's clearly a market that we're interested in and, and you know we, we shouldn't shy away from that it's a market that with chris Mueller coming over and uh and it's a market that we look at um and there are some good players there but equally at the same time uh mike kelleher and the guys at uh, charleston battery they're they're a great football club and um and you know there's a there's a sharing of best practice there from that perspective um I think that answers your question. I, I hope it does anyway. Yeah, spot on. Thank you. Just, just um, one last thing on the sort of the whole US um, link up. As I know, I know you mentioned there about um, there being sort of a market we were looking to, and it sounded very much as in that was a market that we were looking to, in regards to um, bringing in fresh faces. And you obviously mentioned Chris Mueller. Um, I know that Dundee and Aberdeen kicked off a game at um, was it six or seven pm in the evening, um, fairly recently, and part of the reason for that was that there was um, an opportunity to get the game televised in the US. Is it is it a market we're trying to dip our toe into, albeit in I'd assume quite a small way, as a as a potential market for for a fan base as well? I, I suppose from an SPFL perspective, um, there's certainly a uh, an opportunity to grow the brand there. Absolutely. Having been in the conversations, uh, in the Deloitte sort of conversations uh, um, around that action plan, it's 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 very much a market that we that we believe is um, is there for the taking. Because I think the Scottish game is a really attractive proposition. Um, I, what I would say around kind of recruitment and other and other areas like that, you know, there there are multiple markets that we look in. Uh, it's certainly not just a laser focus on uh, the MLS or the American market. It's uh, it's just a market that we, we believe is is of interest. Um, but uh, in terms of changing times for for kickoffs, I think if there's subtle uh, changes and, and alterations, then I think that's fine. I, I don't think we would do any wholesale kind of movement of days or or anything like that to, to suit a certain market. I think it, it has to work for for the Scottish game first and foremost. And um, hopefully, what we want is we want a uh, we want our our international broadcast rights across the whole SPFL to grow, um, because if that happens, then then all of the clubs sort of benefit. So um, I think it's good for the game if we can do subtle changes, but not to the detriment of the of, the, of Scottish football. You mentioned there about so you know the, the top four being you know you want it to be something that um, Hibs you know aspire to. Um, obviously, it's something you have to work for. Um, you know, if everything fell into place and it went how you you think it will go and you hope it will go, what what would be the sort of ultimate ambition? Would it be to maybe you know split the old firm, you know, win win another trophy? And um, where 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 do you see us going? Sort of whether that be in a sort of two, three, five year period. Yeah. So let me just take you back when I when I spoke about um, consistency and and you know inconsistency making it very hard to plan. So for me. I go back to that league positions over the last five seasons of fourth, fifth, seventh, and third. For me, if we can build, if we can build a consistent, progressive sort of focus on improvement, continuous improvement every year, 
um, whether that be through our squad development, our commercial development off the pitch, our fan experience, um, you know, whether it be through uh, the consistency around around us um, hitting semi-finals, um, which we have done under Jack. You know, for me, it's about that continuous development. I, I don't think we're in a we're in a position yet as a club where we can start saying, "Oh, we're going to split, we're going to split the old firm or whatever it might be." What we've got to do is we've got to find consistency first of all, and we've got to get that on and off the pitch, and we've got to get that growth mindset off the pitch to ensure that the money that we bring um, into the club can then be spent off the um, you know on onto the first team pitch. I mean, running a football club is, is quite straightforward. Quite frankly, there are four verticals that you need to to really drive a football club's performance. Um, it's one is club controlled income, so anything that, that generates income from a club, ticketing, retail, sponsorship, partnerships, uh, catering, anything that that drives revenue from within the club that it, that it controls. Second one's sort of player trading, so we need to get smarter at player trading, um, uh, buying, selling uh, players coming for our academy. Uh, the third is uh, central distributions, which is effectively, um, you know, uh, the SPFL monies that we get from finishing third, fourth, fifth, sixth, whatever it might be. Uh, European money, prize money from cups, uh, hitting semi-finals, and we need to budget appropriately for them areas. And then the fourth is 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 a very traditional one, which is external funding. So, you know, how much does an owner put in? Um, and you know, at my previous uh, job in in Norwich, the owner didn't put in a penny. Um, so therefore. You know, there was only three verticals that we were working from there. So there's four verticals that you run a football club by. And 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 actually, for me, um, it's about seeing growth across all of them areas. Now, that's why we're doing the Deloitte report around uh, the central distributions. That's why we're working off the pitch so aggressively in terms of driving revenues. And that's why we're working on the pitch and within our academy, making the appointments that we're going to make, because that's player trading. And, and hopefully that kind of gives you a bit of an understanding. My, my job is to is to deliver, basically I'm here to deliver for all stakeholders. So whether that be shareholders, the fans, uh, the difficulty is you can't please everyone all, the, all of the time. But from the moment I arrived, can I improve the club in every aspect of the time that I leave? I believe I can. Um, and that's about continuous improvement across all of the areas that I've just spoke about and then them kind of four verticals. If we can do that, that's what success looks like. Problem is, is it's boring, right? It's boring. <laughs> not at all. No, mate. not at all. I, th- I think um, <laughs> it, it's interesting to actually see how you know you you spoke about it sort of holistically as how you know everything has to come together to put a successful team on the park. It's not just a case of appoint a good manager and and let them go. It's never going to work that way. So it's interesting to see that from all angles because we've spoke to Jack previously as well and you know obviously we've spoke, spoke to yourself and we've spoke to people involved in the women's side is it's it's interesting to see it from all these different angles how you kind of grow and better a football club yeah yeah I mean I, I mean one thing we didn't discuss I suppose with like the whole movement on the women's game for me the reason we did that is because there's an audience there and 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 you know I couldn't believe it but 75 percent of the audience that turned up for that 5,500 they were they were new to Easter Road, hmm. and so that's about growing our community footprint um, and bringing new people into the stadium. So, you know, just as much as it is about growing the game and breaking a domestic record. So it's um, I think it's I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting how you you know you can't just think about winning or losing a match. You've got to think about the much much more holistic kind of continuous improvement of all aspects of a club rather than just winning or losing. However 
probably one of the key one of the key areas. But um, but you know, I can't just be fixated on that. We've got to be we've got to be pretty consistent across how we deliver all games to all of them. Mm. And and also, I thought you were going to ask me something like, when you arrived, um, why did I look like the Tango Man? <laughs> <laughs> but um, but you didn't. Well, why did you look like the Tango Man there? <laughs> well, the truth. <laughs> The truth is, right, is because um, everyone's, I've noticed everyone Everyone sort of wants to ask me, but no one actually did. And um, the truth is that I uh, I come off of a plane. I, I, I obviously resigned from Norwich, left Norwich, had a few things that I needed to tidy up. And then um, and then I went to, to Ibiza for a couple of weeks and then literally came off the plane and then came straight up to Edinburgh. And then the sunshine was obviously over Leith, which is obviously typical um i hope that's a good that's a good sign for me um and uh and it, and the cameraman managed to catch it perfectly so you had this sort of tanned person um shining off of my forehead and things like that it was kind of the perfect storm <laughs> to basically make me look like the tango man it was, uh, it was awful i do think one of the questions that i, I vetoed out was actually are the are the sunbed parlors better in edinburgh than norwich like, <laughs> we'll take that out should have asked it now well, I think I think you know. Edit it in. I think you know that I'm probably not the sunbed type, but um, but it is it is what it is. Um, so yeah, no, I, I promise you, I won't go on holiday again and then do a press conference <laughs> or anything like that. Thanks very much to um, Ben for joining us here. Um, very interesting to learn about the um, the root of his, his famous tan. Um, pro- probably not the most important thing that he, he discussed there. There's a lot of lot of interesting things to um, pick apart. Um, I think one of the things that is um, quite interesting, I think we might even have a bit of an exclusive on it, is um, with regards to a, a high-profile, ambitious ampo- appointment. Um, that's certainly something that's going to be interesting to watch in the coming days, I think. Yeah, I mean, it, we often make jokes about um, being Inverness on Hibsnet, but I think actually now Hibsnet is Inverness, and we can confirm it right here. Uh, unfortunately, we can't tell you who that appointment is going to be, but uh, it's certainly something to be excited about. And, um, you know, hopefully this, this podcast will, will be followed very soon after by that appointment. Um, I couldn't quite tell whether it would be a, a sporting director role directly or a kind of football operations person, but, I mean, what are your thoughts about um, maybe replacing that, that Graham Matty figure in the club? Yeah, I think um, the whole the whole interview was quite interesting, and I think it's something that as fans, you know, we're obviously very emotive beings, and we we just want to win football matches and win football matches in the right way, and score lots of goals and stuff, um, you know, sort of um, instantly. And I think you know a phrase that I think um, Ben used consistently throughout his um, sort of his responses was about a, a holistic approach and approaching football holistically. And I, I certainly thought the way he spoke about the role is it's someone that's going to be trying to sort of pull different parts of the club together um, to sort of have that key sort of you know that whole that making disparate parts of a football club a whole which I think ultimately is what leads to success on the park um, I think what really struck me is you know at the end when we sort of pushed him for sort of an ultimate ambition he, I think he was brutally honest almost and said that from what I took of it I think he was almost saying Hibs aren't quite ready to sort of kick on to to another step yet is you need you need that two or three seasons of consistency of finishing guaranteeing at least top four finishes guaranteeing semi-finals and you know people will argue that we've done that in recent years certainly in the cups we've been um you know very regular um appearances in the latter stages when it comes to the league our our performances have been a kind of a bit all over the place and you know i i appreciate the honesty i don't think his fans would necessarily like it because we want to think we can go from you know fifth to fourth to second in the space of a couple of seasons and you know it's good to kind of hear that the club are you know 
aware of the not not the limitations. That's the wrong word, but aware of what's required to actually um, put, in, put a foundation in place to kick on. Yeah, I think um, you're right to identify that. Kind of as fans, we're we're so focused on instant success, and you're only as good as your last game is the sort of uh, the phrase. But I think it has some meaning, though. You know, I think there will be some some room given for Ben and his team and and the vision he wants to establish to to embed itself. So long as you know it's met by by decent football on the pitch and a steady kind of gradual improvement, which is obviously what we want to see. I enjoyed his openness about the summer transfer window, particularly. He just very candidly said it wasn't good enough, and to me that suggests that you know he's somebody that's coming in with a strategy to know how to prevent that in January. I think one of the things that's interesting is I don't think you can ignore the current form because it, it's frankly not good enough. Is <laughs> you know the the games that we've lost the manner in the manner we've lost some of them in as well. Um, you know you you can't just forgive that and say well we had a bad transfer window we've got a few injuries so you know you can forgive give bad performances you can certainly mitigate bad performances with that but I I think you know without any real prompting from us and without any real questioning from us um, he was very forcefully defensive of Jack Ross. Um, you know, and, and said that he he deserves time, and frankly, his performance has been good enough in the eyes of the club, and I think in the eyes of a lot of fans as well, that he shouldn't be under any pressure at the moment. Um, and you know, he needs he needs to be given time to steer us through this tricky patch, and hopefully, you know, if if there is going to be a new sort of focus on transfers, maybe not so much in January, but certainly as of next summer, that. We don't end up in a situation like this again where suddenly, you know, we've got two, three, four first team players out and quite frankly, we look like we're down to the bare bones and we look like a team that, you know, is is going to struggle for the next few weeks until we get some of these guys fit. Um, you know, we, we touched on it with um, with Ben Neres. Having Christian Deutsch come back in is going to be huge because he's, he's, for a guy who was much maligned when he first appeared, he's suddenly become quite integral to the way we play. And I think getting Kyle McGuinness back fit as well is going to be a, a huge boost because... You look at our record with McGinnis in the team this season and with him out the team, and it, it, it's a pretty stark contrast there. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, a, com- a combination of having quite a small squad, and uh, yeah, I think you're right, and some of the ventures we've had this season have probably been amongst the weakest in the league. But the thing is, Jack won't want that as a manager, and, and over, you know, the, the executive staff, the senior management, they won't want to see uh, a team that isn't competitive. and. Right now, we can probably pin a lot of that on on sort of weaknesses in the in the depth of the squad. Um, everybody's sort of aware of that, and that's maybe what makes it frustrating because uh, we know what the problem is. We just we we're not really in a position to to address it until January. But that's why uh, you know this recruitment drive is going to be so important for us. Um, obviously, Ben wouldn't go into specifics there in terms of areas we're we're focusing on, but I, I think some of them are are quite obvious. And yeah, uh, you know we've almost been unlucky in in terms of the players that have been out uh, for spells, either with injuries or suspensions, have been quite integral to to us, as you say. Carl McGuinness was probably our, our brightest player at the start of the season, um, and he's been missing. Christian Doidge, completely vital to not only the team as a whole, but Kevin Nisbet, who's who's definitely struggled without him, um, and Ryan Porteous, who uh, you know is, is probably somebody we want to talk about in in, in a number of different ways as well. Yeah, I think um, you touched on it there. I think getting those guys back, um, it probably leads us in quite nicely to a little bit of chat about um, the the semi final. Um, and I, th- I think there's there's sort of two big stories around the semi final. The first one I'm not particularly interested in, and that's obviously the the management situation at Rangers. Um, but that does probably link into a guy you mentioned there, Ryan Porteous, who you know is going to be public enemy number one leading up to the semi final amongst the. Uh, 
Rangers fan base and that then means the press because the press essentially you know tell the Rangers fan base what the Rangers fan base want to hear a lot of the time um, and I think one of the people who really stirred that that whole situation up with Ryan was Stephen Gerrard with some of his comments about him which were frankly totally out of line and I don't think the facts actually back up a lot of what he said about Ryan Portis is, you know, we, we've we've all seen it. He's, he's got a, a streak in him, which he needs to, to learn to calm down at times. And I'm actually probably in a bit of a minority that I actually don't think the, the sender off Ibrox was an absolute shocker. Is I think it was a foul. And, you know, whether he played the ball or not is irrelevant. I think it was a foul. And I think it's one where he has given the referee a decision to make. But that's by the by is is you can't have managers coming out the way they did and then you certainly can't have the reaction that took place on on social media afterwards which was ryan spoke about quite openly how it affected him and it, it was appalling and it's something that is it happens across football but in scotland there is one fan base who are the drivers of this kind of behavior again and again he spoke about homophobic abuse and the big one sectarian abuse and you know it's something we seem almost blind to, to in this country or certainly the media seem almost blind to they you know they'll happily jump on jump on racism and absolutely rightly so it's something that's that's completely and utterly wrong yet they'll allow this abuse of a young hot prospect in scottish football a guy who could well go on to play a number of times for scotland they'll allow that to go essentially unchecked one one columnist reported on it yeah exactly and you know what what is so frustrating about these kind of situations and the backlash to them is that um, as you alluded to there they're never substantiated by any kind of evidence or statistical data because you know if they went down that route of trying to prove that ryan is somehow a malicious player because uh, they've got x y and z stats to to try and back it up their argument would fall apart because the simple truth is ryan is pretty much part of a course when it comes to a center back and discipline array and actually in terms of his performances is is far far above par in every meaningful sort of metric as a, as a player he, he, he's certainly been subject to, to undue abuse both in the media i think conventional media have, have been far too harsh on him but as you rightfully say i think let's not shirk away from it it's one fan base disproportionately um send abuse in kind of online means and it, it it's completely unacceptable and as you said you've got an outgoing manager now who, who was galvanizing it and who was who was really pointing the horde in that direction which is i think completely out of line i think one, one of the things that's actually heartened me is since ryan gave his interview and actually in, in the aftermath of the game once sort of the initial um the initial sort of backlash had died down a bit was Hibs were actually very supportive of Ryan publicly and I think we've seen it in the past where you know going back to Tony Mowbray, Pat Fenlon, Alan Stubbs, Neil Lennon um, going to to Ibrox and being on the, the, the end of some pretty horrendous abuse um, whether it be about someone's wife dying whether it be about them telling them to go and hang themselves you know and ultimately the, the big one is the you know let's call it what it is anti-Irish xenophobia slash racism if you like um, and the club have been quite silent on that they, they kind of allowed it to happen without really saying all it certainly publicly we don't know what went on behind closed doors and on this occasion actually the, the club have actually spoke out on a couple of occasions and and defended um defended Ryan and I think more than that when you you saw Ben sort of giving his interview or his press conference virtually on last week or two weeks ago now um you know there was a few barbed comments about you know the the blue side of Glasgow if you like um that were picked up by the press and they were very much dismissed but I think he was kind of just letting letting people and I, I actually didn't particularly enjoy the press conference if I'm going to be totally honest but 
I think he was just letting people know that Hibs aren't going to be walked over anymore as if people attack our players in that way then we're going to we're going to stand up and we're going to call it out yeah it's it's bullish and and I think it takes probably all of us in a kind of united effort to to put our foot down and say actually no you know the line has been crossed here and um, we're not going to let a young footballer who's who's trying to pay, pave his way and, and sort of make his dream come true who by all accounts is a model professional and has got you know no reputation off the pitch for for causing any kind of trouble be just inundated with this kind of kind of nonsense and yeah i think it's good to see a senior figure from a club call it out and, and stand up to it and and hopefully it, it emboldens our fans to be able to do the same thing i think just um you know we've, we've spoke a lot about things off the park on the semi-final i think it's probably worth um speaking about things on the park as well i mean obviously now i think the dream is for it to be a tight game and ryan porter's to score a 91st minute <laughs> winner or something i think that would be ideal and preferably in front of the rangers fans um, but um you know i i think when it comes to the game itself i think we, we kind of go in with actually very little pressure on us i mean obviously there's going to be pressure from our own fan base in the sense that you know it's it's another trip to hamden it's another big game for, for, for Jack Ross. Um, you know, but I think on this occasion we're we're up against a Rangers team who seem to be just finding a wee bit of form. Um, you know, will, will they get a bit of a sort of new manager bounce or a caretaker manager bounce or whatever? Um that that's something to see. Um and you know we we're not going to be completely over our injuries. We've had the COVID outbreak, we've had the enforced break. So I I think there's a, a relative um a relative lack of pressure on, on Hibbs in that regard. I think what I really want to see is just us to go out and put in a performance. If if we put in a performance and lose the game, I, I think I could probably walk away and accept it. I think if we if we play like we did against, say, St. Johnston in the Scottish Cup final again, I'd, I'd be fairly fairly upset by it. Um, but, you know, we always seem to turn up against Rangers. <laughs> there, there's not been many games in recent years. I think one, one exception was December, just after Jack took over, where we got really turned over Easter Road. But... Out with that, I think um, certainly since Jack's been here, we, we always seem to be relatively competitive against them. If you know, actually winning games hasn't been borne out by that. Yeah, we, we've probably been a bit unfortunate to come away with nothing better than a draw in some of these games, and I think the last match between us is is a, a perfect example of that. Given the momentum of the game at the time, you know, somebody who's been criticised a lot this season, rightly or wrongly, is Kevin Nisbet, and uh, you know, who knows what that would have done for him if we ended up seeing a, a game and he scored a winner against Rangers, but. You know, these. I almost don't want to say fine margins because I know it's become a little bit of a a, a hot topic sort of um, phrase of a moment. But you know, these games have been close, and when you, when you're looking at the disparity in the budgets between the two clubs, that's pretty much all you can ask for. And as long as the players turn up and and, and play with their heart and their sleeve, I know they'll they'll get the backing from the fans. I've I've always kind of been the the opinion, and I, I've. You know, I, I will happily criticise Hibbs' performance and results-wise when we go out and lose to teams like St Mirren, um, or more more recently, you know, um, some of the games we lost at Easter Road, you know, Dundee United getting beat three 0 at Easter Road. You know, I, I will criticise Hibs for that because it's deserved. Is you know, it, it shouldn't be happening. Obviously, it's sporting these results happen from time to time, but the the when they happen, you're going to get criticism. I've never really been one for for massively criticising Hibs for losing to Celtic and Rangers because of the fact that, you know, there is such a disparity in budget, there is such a disparity in, you know, basic, let's be totally honest, ability available to the respective managers. And I, I think you have to accept, you know, you are going to lose more of these games, but you have to also turn up. You have you have to, you know, you have to do, you have to, you know, you have to show up effort. I think <coughs> the recent Celtic game is probably an example of that. First 20 minutes, 25 minutes, half an hour, 
probably the whole first half, to be totally honest. We stood off them. We showed them far too much respect. They were very, very good. There's no getting away from that. But we were very, very poor. Second half, I think the pressure was off because Celtic were halfway along the M8 with three points. But suddenly we got in their faces. We snapped into tackles. We pressed them high up the park. And they looked very uncomfortable at the back. And you actually walked away from that saying, if we had played like that from the start, you know, what could we have done? And that's what you want to see next Sunday is you want to see guys snapping into tackles you want to see them in rangers faces from early doors and letting them know you know you might beat us but you're not going to beat us easily wraps up our, our chat about the football I mean we've been we've been starved for it recently uh, thankfully Scotland won tonight but nothing really beats a Hibs victory hopefully we, we've got that to look forward to thanks again to, to Ben uh, for joining both of us plenty to talk about Ben and plenty for the fans to, to listen to probably some stuff that will will only really illuminate a little bit further down the line as, as Ben said the short list is actually a long list and there's a lot to tick off but lots to look forward to and, and hopefully a win at Hampton to, to top things off yeah that would be nice a good way, good way to finish off and hopefully give us a, a cup final to talk about this time next month until the Scottish Cup of course well of course that's it that's, that's, the, that's the big one isn't it oh, I shouldn't say that 